Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we talk about your 9 and 24 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the good problem that the Pistons have at point guard, our collective disappointment in Seku Dimbuya, and we throw Mason Plumley a little bit of love. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing pretty good. Ready to talk some uh, one-in-three-week Pistons, I guess. Let's do this thing. How are you? I'm good. It was a fun one-in-three-week, though. As fun as one-in-three-weeks uh, get. I guess, well... The, the thing that made it entertaining was actually the thing that I wanted to start off with, was which was the point guard play, right? The point guard play of Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee has been the story of this week. Uh, Dennis Smith is averaging 12 points and four assists for the week. Saban Lee averaging 13 points and three assists for the week. Um, both guys have put up uh, games that they haven't. Saban had a career-high 21-point night. You know, Dennis Smith had, what, 17 and 6 against the Kings. Just like, you know, performances to where we, we didn't expect much that much uh, production from from either of them, you know, going into those games. That kind of resulted in Brady Fredrickson, our own uh, Brady Fredrickson at Detroit Bad Boys, writing about the Pistons having one of those good problems at point guard with too many guys between, you know, DeLon, Killian, Saban, and Dennis Smith Jr. Um Ben, you know, do you think the play of Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee will continue to be a good problem for the team? Well, certainly when you're in a rebuilding situation, I think it is a good problem to have guys competing against each other and driving and pushing each other to become better. So, I mean, I absolutely think that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I would probably err on the side of caution and, and pump the brakes just a little bit, right? Like obviously, you know, DSJ, he's had some ups and downs throughout his career. And look, I'm going to hope that he's just reviving and revitalizing his career here in Detroit and that this isn't just a short-term stint of good play, right? But at the same time, there, there's room to be a little bit cautious, I think. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. This was the best part of the week. Um, I think the one win that the Pistons did have against Orlando, I think you can look at those two guys as, you know, ultimately kind of the primary drivers of that win, at least in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with Brady. This is absolutely, you know, a good problem to have. I think when you look at the roster as a whole, you know, I've hinted at DeLon Wright potentially being a guy the Pistons could look to shop a little bit. He's got some of those skills that I think, you know, if you're a playoff team looking to solidify your bench, 
you know, he can play a little bit of both guard positions, I think, if he's in the second unit. You know, he's obviously played primarily point guard for the Pistons since Killian Hayes went down. But, you know, he can probably play a little bit of both guard positions. And I think when you're looking at two younger players who still potentially have some development in Saban Lee and DSJ, you know, both the guys duking it out for minutes maybe makes uh, DeLon Wright a little more expendable from, um, you know, a roster building perspective so yeah i mean it is a good problem um for sure i agree with brady 100 percent. and and i think here's here's another interesting way to look at this question laz you know killian hayes still several weeks away from being reevaluated. but let's say he does come back toward the end of the season like we only saw i think what seven games of killian hayes but like who is he better than as a point guard right now? As in, this is your boy. So I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. Like, have these guys outplayed Killian Hayes so far this season? Wow. That is, that is not a question I expected to ask myself, like, way back in December, right? But I think you can make a, absolutely a fair case that, uh, that Saban, for sure, has outperformed uh, Killian to this point. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. started off a little bit more slowly, so I think the case is a little bit more difficult to make. But uh, I also think that some of that has to do with the uh, just like the the practice time and the growth that those guys were allowed to have, right? Like Saban has been, uh, especially earlier in the year, wasn't relied on for anything. Was able to you know develop behind the scenes out out of the purview of Pistons fans while you know Killian Hayes was you know in the starting lineup um <laughs> against you know Drew Holiday and you know Trey Young and, and guys like that um and so I you know from a production standpoint like I, I can't argue that Saban's been more productive th- than Killian Hayes but you know in the long term I still think Killian ends up better than Saban they do very different things they are very different point guards but um i don't i don't want to like start pitting them against each other immediately <laughs> either right like uh, i think the the i think the fact that they are so different you know makes both of them better it makes defending both of them you know more difficult because you would need like two different types of defenses really to to deal with those guys um, yeah, that was a, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. And I, look, I'm trolling you a little bit, right? Yeah. Like obviously yeah. Killian Hayes has the higher ceiling by leaps and bounds. So I'm, but, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but doesn't, but that makes me, if anything, like Saban Lee's rapid development should make fans curious about like what Killian Hayes is going to be capable of, like when he's given that time to grow. Right. Because this is a guy who. You know, had the pedigree, has the talent, has the height, has the skill that uh, you know teams are looking for in a point guard, um, and so you you expect the performances to come. But yeah, that's 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 a good question. I mean, uh, so uh, the other thing is like, I want to compliment Dennis Smith Jr. He has played well, but when I, I'm watching his highlights, I'm like, especially against the Kings, you know, he had the really nice dunk, he made a couple yeah. shots. But like those shots are not the shots you like really want him taking, and he was really taking advantage of the like super lax Kings defense. Now I wrote, uh, I wrote the preview for that game. The Kings are like worst in the NBA in defensive rating by like two full points almost. Um, Marvin Bagley the third 
was just like letting Dennis Smith Jr. like do whatever he wanted at the rim. And so like I I absolutely I'm absolutely glad that like that game gave DSJ confidence and uh he performed really well, but like I don't expect that every single time, right? Like that's for the sure. that's the high end of of outcomes for for a Dennis Smith Jr. experience. All right, Ben. Uh, speaking of point guards, we're just going to you know talk about point guards for 15 minutes. Apparently, <laughs> then we got a report that the Pistons were interested in trading for currently injured point guard and former Piston Spencer Dinwiddie. Ben, what would you trade for Spencer Dinwiddie? Do you even want Spencer Dinwiddie? Yeah, so I wouldn't trade anything for Spencer Dinwiddie, and I I don't mean that to come across as dismissive. I've been I I always tend to follow former Pistons, right? Especially when the Pistons give up on a guy too early, like they did with Dinwiddie, right? But, um, you know, look, the hard reality is Spencer's had now two very serious uh, injuries. He certainly was turning into an, like, definite starting caliber, um, kind of primary driver of the offense kind of a player um, prior to this injury. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I would pass on this one. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think you'd be better off just continuing to uh, develop Killian Hayes, right? We still don't have any sense of what, what his capacities and capabilities are. And it would just be a huge risk. So unless this is just like a complete low ball, right? And you're getting him for next to nothing. Like to me, I think I'm a, I'm a hard pass on this one. Yeah, I think it. I don't think it's a complete low ball. I think this is like the Nets like leaking uh, about the Pistons, not the other way around. I'm mm. thinking, you know, the Nets are looking at their center rotation, um, looking at like where they want to go in terms of like playoff competitiveness and saying like, hey, like, uh, hey, Pistons, like we'll give you Spencer Dinwiddie, who like, you know, is currently, you know, going to be out for the year with an ACL tear, I believe. Uh, we'll give you Spencer Dinwiddie, who's better than Mason Plumley, but we could use Mason Plumley right now mm. and you guys suck. So like, what about that? Like, uh, and Pistons just kind of going like, no, like we don't need, we have five point guards. <laughs> we don't need any more point guards. But uh, I do think that that's, uh, it's an interesting like thought uh, exercise. Spencer Dinwiddie and Killian Hayes are very similar point guards, right? Like not overly athletic, but very tall, good passers, uh, okay shooters, not amazing shooters, but defenses still treat them like good shooters simply because they take so many uh, difficult off the dribble threes. Um, and so I think like in the vein of like having Spencer Dinwiddie be like a good, like mentor for Killian in in a way that, uh, you know, maybe Derek Rose, like couldn't be just because like Derek Rose's game was very different than Killian Hayes's while Dinwiddie's is pretty similar. I think that's kind of interesting, but that's not worth, you know, that's not worth trading for, especially since like Dinwiddie's going to be injured and, uh, we don't know what he's going to look like when he returns. And if he's like really good. Like he might help the Pistons win too many games in the first place, right? So yeah, and like I'm all, like we just talked about, it. it's good to have the good problem of people pushing each other, but I'm not sure this would be a good problem to have because with both of those guys playing the same position, Spencer's obviously going to be he's going to be opting into his player option, uh, you know, for next season's contract. Like I don't know that you want those two guys necessarily fighting for minutes because they're they're going in very different directions in their in terms of their career trajectory. So I don't know. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. As I uh, apologize for my dog barking in the background, uh, <laughs> we can move on to uh, Jeremy Grant 
Uh, Jeremy Grant was not named to the All-Star game this weekend or this week, which is unfortunate because that would give us a reason to watch the All-Star game. Um, it's not really a surprise that he wasn't named to the All-Star team. Like we talked about, you know, his production kind of fallen off a little bit, but it is a little bit disappointing just because he has like elevated his game uh, so much from uh, what he's, you know, producing last year to this year. Um, ben, do you think Jeremy has a chance to win some other types of recognition, right? Do you think he has a chance at like winning a, a most improved player trophy at the end of the year, or maybe an all NBA spot or an all defense spot or something like that towards the end of the season. So I think, you know, for me, his game looks like um, the perfect contender for a most improved player sort of award. I mean, a lot of times when you see uh, guys win this award, it's because they've moved from a limited role to a bigger role. And, you know, they tend to score a lot of points, right? Like the guys who wins at my, the guys who win MIP tend to be scorers, right? And Jeremy Grant certainly fits the bill uh, that way. You know, in terms of him being an all-NBA or all-defensive team or not being an all-star, you know, like to me, it, this is a pretty easy no. Um, like just in terms of all-stars, like look at the Eastern Conference roster. Like who could you point to and say, yeah, Jeremy Grant is a better or more complete player than any of those guys? Um I think maybe Ben Simmons, some people would potentially argue, but to me, Ben Simmons is just such a complete player and does so many things for a team that's essentially on top of the East right now, right? Like they're the best team in the East. So, you know, all NBA, I I think is even less likely. Um, And, and really look, when you, when you think about the coaches evaluating the all-star reserves, for example, you know, I think there are two main things that, at least from my perspective, work against Jeremy Grant. The first is that the Pistons are terrible, right? And and guys who put up big point numbers on bad teams tend to get looked at a little cynically, rightly or wrongly. That's, that's the way it is, right? The second thing is something I've touched on before. Unfortunately, right now, um, I think Jeremy still has a lot more room to grow in his role. Right now, he's primarily like a relatively high-efficient scorer, but the other parts of his game are still lacking. Um, you know, like obviously he still has all of those defensive tools that he had in Denver. Um, you know, what I would say though, is I think he's showing that it's pretty hard to be the primary offensive threat every single night, as well as the primary defensive stopper, right? Cause I, I don't think we can say Jeremy Grant is shutting somebody else down every single night. And, and that wouldn't even be a fair expectation to have, right? There are very few human beings on the planet with that sort of um, athletic um, ability and that kind of endurance. And, and look, we saw this week, like he got rested for a game and came back and had the best game he's had in a couple of weeks, got to the line, I think 15 times, attacked the rim like crazy. So, yeah, I mean, disappointing certainly for fans who are pulling for Jeremy Grant. But honestly, from an objective standpoint, I think this is the right call. Um, and I think if the Pistons want to get Grant some recognition, I think rallying behind the idea of most improved player is probably the most realistic option for him. Yeah, I, I agree that most improved is the most realistic um, All-NBA. If there was like a fourth or fifth All-NBA team, like he would definitely be in consideration for those spots. Um, if, if, as many people talked about on the internet this week, there were 15 All-Star spots instead of 12, his case would be much uh, stronger for like, you know, the 14th or 15th spot. Um, but yeah, like you, you pointed out, he's just not in that echelon right now, but um, that's, that's, you know, what's the opposite of 
scamming with faint praise. I don't know. I was going to use that phrase. It got stuck. And then I'm just going to talk my way through it. Uh, <laughs> the, the next, I want to read you, Ben, the last three winners of the Most Improved Player Award. In uh, 2017, 2018, it was Victor Oladipo. 2018, 2019, it was Pascal Siakam. 2019, or 20, yeah, 2019, 2020, it was Brandon Ingram. That's really good company for Jeremy yeah. Grant to yeah. join. And so I don't think that, you know, quote unquote, only being the top contender for the most improved player in the NBA is a bad thing for Jeremy Grant. It just, uh, it's just not quite that level of, you know, all NBA, all defense. Well, and he fits that mold, right? Like all three of those guys, I think you can kind of say, you can look at those the seasons immediately prior, right, and say they stepped into a much bigger role. They continued to do what they were doing, but on a much mar- much larger scale, but still really efficiently. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Jeremy Grant fits. And then I think, you know, it's also fair to say I don't look at Jeremy Grant as a finished project, yet he's obviously a little bit older than guys who make huge strides in, in parts of their game that, you know, you would expect them to see maybe in their earlier 20s. But look, this is still his first year in this role, as we've talked about. He still has some time uh, to really build out those some other those other parts of his game, and you know I think if Jeremy Grant wants to be an All Star, that's that's what we need to look for uh, a year from now. No, yeah, hundred percent. All right, Ben. The next thing I want to talk about was uh, Josh Jackson. Dwayne Casey came out this week and talked about how important Josh is to the second unit, how he kind of drives the offense uh, for that second unit. You know, Saban has helped, obviously, over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, prior to that, it was really just Josh Jackson acting as, a, as the primary shot creator off the bench. Um, we, he, he scored uh, 18 points a game uh, off the bench this week, but he shot 15%, 1-5% from three this week. Uh, ben, how much do we have to, like, just take the good with the bad with Josh Jackson? Oh, that's a good way to put it, Laz. I think... You know, Josh is still a young player as well. He still has some time to expand certain parts of his game. But to me, Josh's ceiling is ultimately going to be defined by that shooting that you just talked about. Like in the back-to-back Orlando games, for example, he went over 10 from from deep, right? He just kept shooting. Um, I absolutely love Josh Jackson when he's going to the rim. Like if you look at his shot distribution, um, he's like – in terms of shot attempts anyway, what a lot of the analytics guys would love. He takes a lot of threes and he takes a lot of shots uh, close to the rim, right? Um, unfortunately, though, his three-point shooting just isn't as good as you'd like it to be, right, for, for that sort of volume. Um, so, you know, I think ultimately there's a couple ways this could go for him. One, he, he maybe starts shooting threes a little less and focuses on attacking the rim more because like I said, I think that's where he's at his best. He's got tremendous length. Um, he can get up and he can get down the floor. Like he runs the floor really hard. And I really appreciate that about him. Um, the other, the other trajectory is his shooting could improve, right? He's still young enough that that could improve. And we could see an improved three point shot ultimately like make a big difference for his overall scoring efficiency but you know I, I think what we have to point out with with josh is um his shooting just is really really bad um 
in spite of the fact that I love what he does defensively, in spite of the fact that I love that he runs the floor and attacks the rim, like his shooting is is so bad that it, it really hurts. So like I'm going to throw two quick stats out there, even though podcasts and stats don't always work the best. But the first one is Basketball Reference has this really interesting um, league-adjusted shooting stat where they talk about, um, and you can look into the formula if you're interested, but um, they take a guy's shooting and they compare it to the league average and they try to estimate, like, when a guy is shooting, is it helping or hurting your team? And um, without diving into all of the advanced numbers, like Josh Jackson is actually the worst-rated piston on the roster relative to this metric. And that's because his shooting is just really, really poor. Another simpler way to look at this is if you look at all of the guards in the NBA who are playing 15 minutes or more a game, Josh is 130th out of 184 eligible guards in terms of true shooting percentage. So his shooting is just, it's really, really bad. Um, It's hurt by the fact that he's really struggling at the free throw line. He's under 70%, which is not what you want to see. So um, yeah, I mean, with, with Josh, it's highs and lows. And it's, is the three-point shot falling? And is he attacking the rim enough? And, and so he's young enough, like I said, if, if Coach Casey can get him really buying into the idea that attacking the rim is where he's going to make the biggest impact, uh, then, I, then I think maybe there's something to be really excited about. If he continues to fall in love with the three-point shot and it doesn't improve, you know, that, yeah, that, that's where the, the good and the bad, we get both of them at the same time, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I would categorize Josh's three-point shooting as streaky. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's very streaky. And when he's, when he's on, he's on. And when he's off, he's off. And he hasn't been – he's been off uh, lately uh, over the last couple of games. Um, I think a lot of his – a lot of his confidence gets, like, buoyed by him attacking the rim. And so I'm glad he does that more often. Um but yeah, like you know, between his inability to really uh, convert at a great rate at the free throw line and uh, the three point rate, like yeah, I didn't know that the exact true shooting numbers, but like yeah, I could have told you he'd be in like the bottom third of, of true shooting among guards uh, in the NBA. But that's that's a really cool uh, stat, the adjusted uh, like shot quality stat. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I, I would just wonder like what I wonder what. Uh, what Josh would think if he would be more effective in like a role reduction, not necessarily like, you know, you have to do less, but just like, you know, we can, uh, we can help you make uh, other guys do more. Right. We we've seen, you know, Saban Lee come in and be able to create his own shot and, and pass the ball and create looks for others. You know, uh, we've seen a, a guy like Sim Luke come off the bench the last couple of games and make an effort to, uh, to get to the rim and make his own shots. Um, he's also been struggling from three, but I think we all we can both agree he's just like a much more consistent shooter than, than Josh Jackson will be. And and Josh is a pretty good passer, like when he puts his mind to it. He's a very inventive passer, and he uh, makes good reads. And so I wonder if uh, you know just telling Josh like, hey, we want you to focus like just a tiny bit more on distribution, on drawing the defense in when you attack the rim, and then you know making the right read to on kickouts, making the right read to like an Isaiah Stewart or, you know, getting the ball uh, to the wing to, to a Sfima Kyluk. I think like that would be one way the Pistons could get Josh to do more good than bad right now. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, in his defense too, like to his credit, I, yeah. I really like the way he plays on defense and he's a good rebounder for a, a guard forward as well. So he does, I was really down on his shooting there, but <laughs> look, he does some things really well and he deserves credit for that. No, absolutely. And you know, the Pistons, if nothing else, the Pistons need somebody who can score 18 points off the bench exactly. to, to remain a functional NBA offense. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right, Ben. Mason Plumley. We haven't really talked about Mason Plumley a lot on this podcast. I feel like I've, I've personally been underselling Mason Plumley. Um, but after the uh, post that DBB's own Embijewicz uh, put on, uh, wrote about his involvement in the offense, uh, how important Plumley was from a statistical standpoint and from a film standpoint in making the offense go, uh, that made me, you know, want to talk a little bit about him. But also, it made me kind of wonder then if the Pistons are asking Mason Plumley to do too much is that is that is that a weird question to ask it's a totally fair question and I think the answer is yes but <laughs> I mean any team asking Mason Plumley to do what he's been asked to do this season means you're probably not in an ideal situation from a roster building perspective so yeah, yes but that said like he's really stepped up I think um, I think there's a strong case to be made that, you know, he and DeLon Wright are sort of duking it out for who's the most or who's the second most important part of the Pistons offense this season. Right? Obviously, Jeremy Grant is the first part, uh, the first player who's most important, but it, it, it's him or DeLon, I think, especially for that starting unit. Um, and uh, yeah, should he be? You know, one of the the team leaders in assist percentage. No, <laughs> that shouldn't that shouldn't happen. Um, he's also up there in terms of turnover rate, right? Which speaks to the fact that he's probably being asked to do a little too much. But in spite of the fact, I mean, the dude's having a great season, right? I mean, his shooting efficiency remains over sixty percent true shooting, which is fantastic. He's the best rebounder on the roster. Um, he does a good job defending as a team defender. Um, but yeah, offensively, this is not the role uh, you want him to be playing. And look, I'm going to, I put this out on Twitter. I'm going to say it here. Like, in spite of the fact that I think he's been the Pistons second best player this season. Um, look, I hope he gets to spend the last few years of his career in a better situation. Maybe that means a season from now, the Pistons have added some pieces and are much better than they are today. Uh, or, or maybe it means Plumlee and his very reasonable contract get moved because I think, you know, you look at the tools that he has, he would be a fantastic complimentary center um, for several different playoff teams, right? You don't need him to be an offensive hub, but he can still contribute. He can finish lobs. He can still jump, right? He can still make good team passes in the context of a five-man offense. Um, so yeah, we haven't talked about Plumlee a lot. And in part, that's because uh, like he's just been consistently very good. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's to his credit. I think it would be very easy for a veteran like him who's accomplished a lot. You know, look what he's accomplished, um, not just in the NBA, but with Team USA and all that kind of stuff. And and come out and, and not show up in certain games. But he shows up every night, plays hard, and he plays he plays well. And unexpectedly, uh, you know, he's, he's been pretty good offensively too. Yeah, I I think back to like, you know, when, when we were talking about how DeLon Wright how well he was playing and how well, you know, the offense was operating when he was on the floor. It was easier to say that because he was putting up, you know, like he'd have like a night with like 25 points, you know, four rebounds and like eight assists. And you'd be like, wow, like, I mean, you know, we never expected anything quite like that from DeLon Wright. Well, like Mason Plumley will have a similar impact 
um but like lower production right he'll have like you know 15 12 and like six and it's like those are you know still uh pretty like great numbers for for any center but it's just like the when you see 20 points like your mind is just like oh he scored 20 points like that's really cool or when you see like you know double digit numbers and assists you're like oh like that's uh like that's you know that's exceptional um and, and so because like Plumlee doesn't always hit like those like statistical statistical markers it, his his value um doesn't necessarily all like always pop like on a on a box score but he's been really important for this team um and i do kind of wonder if you know they're stretching him a little bit too thin only because uh like we we saw what the team looked like without him right like we saw when uh, he had like uh, elbow bursitis a couple weeks ago and it was just uh isaiah stewart and uh, you know seku at, at center we saw how uh disjointed everything was and you know mason Plumley's getting up there in, in age I, I would like mason Plumley to to stay healthy as long as he has to be on the pistons um and so i do kind of i do kind of worry about that but you would sorry no god well i was gonna say like if if the reason for signing him was to help develop Killian Hayes, like burning him out now is also not a good idea, right? Like, cause we want him to be healthy and rested, assuming Killian comes back in a, in a few weeks, right? Yeah, right. No, that's, that's a great point. Um, your point about the dunks though, is also like well noted. Um, you know, he's, I think he's top 10 in the league in dunks. Right. Is, that's, it's crazy. Yeah. And everybody's looking for him. Like, just about everybody, every wing player or guard, when they attack, like they're looking for Mason on the weak side. Yeah, he's he's so he's so valuable for for this team. This team is made up of so many, uh, you know, individual pieces that don't look like much, but are much better as a collective than uh, they have any right to be. And that's still, you know, a team with the second worst record <laughs> in the NBA. Well, and it's interesting too. Like it just it makes me think about like you said, there's a lot of these guys who are useful, but maybe mismatched in the context of like this complete roster, right? Like you can imagine Josh Jackson being a little more effective on a different roster. That second, you know, was a little more complete, right? Like, or Mason Plumlee uh, feeling a little bit more productive when he's not the se- the second option, which is bizarre, <laughs> right? Like, so you can see, like, there's lots of guys like that. It's just a weird situation, all the injuries and trades and all that. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, I want to do. Let's do Seku watch. Let's let's yeah. talk about Seku. Yeah, here we go. So I I wanted like we don't have to do stats. Like we don't have to do anything general. We can just do vibes with, with Seku. Uh, I talked about this with uh, DVB's own Kuka Hill on his podcast earlier this week, and he asked me a question that I thought was so good that I was like, I'm just going to steal this question and ask it to Ben. So Ben, what were your expectations for Seku going into the season? And has he met those expectations? Ugh. Les, all right. So I, I'm trying to remember what we talked about with Seku. And what I feel like I remember, and tell me if I'm wrong and crazy, but what I feel like I remember wanting out of Seku was show me something, like some facet of your game that made a significant improvement from your rookie season to your sophomore season, right? The offseason disrupted by COVID, all of those excuses and explanations out of the way. Like what's that one piece of your game that you worked on that shows me you've got the capacity to be 
um, an NBA player that belongs in an NBA rotation. Like we've had little glimpses of him doing some nice things here and there, but like, especially after this week, like to me, I feel like that hasn't happened. So to answer your question, like, I don't feel like my, my expectations have been met. I mean, we're not going to do stats. Shooting numbers are way down. Um, this week in particular, last as I was watching the games, like I was super focused on Seku, especially on offense. Like I, I really wanted to hone on him and, and see what he was doing offensively. And more times than not, my vibe is that he runs the floor, he runs to one of the corners, and then he stays either in the corner or on that side of the floor, just drifting for the entire possession. Maybe he sets an off ball screen, right? And maybe the ball swings around the perimeter and he, he bricks a three. But, like, that's it, right? Like, he just he looks invisible. Um, he doesn't look engaged. He, frankly, just looks lost and clueless most of the time. And uh, look, still young, all those qualifiers out of the way. But I'm, I'm just not seeing much from Seiko Dembuya right now. Yeah, I, I tried to think back to uh, like our preseason expectations. when And when I think about that, I think about the, the games he had against the Knicks. And our expectation was something like, you know, not necessarily like uh, do that every night. But like show that level of energy and, you know, be that impactful on defense. Because remember, he was, you know, much more impactful on defense uh, in the preseason than he had uh, been in the past. And that was really uh, exciting to me. But yeah, we we haven't really seen that guy so far, uh, you know, recently. Um, I do kind of wonder uh, about his, uh, you know, passivity right he he is kind of out there um just like floating around the perimeter and it's tough for me personally to blame that on the construct of the offense when you know other guys who play that wing position that role in the motion offense other guys who in who you know run the floor and end up in the corner uh, and end up like running like high post DHOs or whatever, like they end up with more shots and they end up with more impact than, than, than Seku does. And so uh, you, I, you see him like the, if Seku, like if he gets the ball on the wing and then like immediately like looks for a guard to do a DHO instead of like looking at the rim, like one more time, I'm going to scream. <laughs> it's just like, I want him to be aggressive. I want him to just, you know, I want him to try some stuff and see what happens because what happens is definitely going to be ugly at first, but you, that's how you learn. Right. And you know, there's always the caveat, right? Like, yes, he's really young. Maybe a lot of this learning is happening, you know, away from our prying eyes, you know, uh, in practice, you know, in special sessions, you know, away from what we as fans can see. But until it translates to games, it's really hard to uh, say that, you know, Seku has been able to meet even anyone's like meager expectations for him on the year. Yeah. And I remember talking about a few weeks ago, Laz, like um, he would run the floor hard and he would try to seal for a post up. Right. And we were mm-hmm. questioning whether or not sealing for the post up was the right decision, but we were praising him for running the floor hard. 
and like I said this week, I watched really hard. He's just like running straight to the corner. So it's like it almost feels like his mentality is very paint by the numbers, right? It's like the coach says do this, and then he just does that. And the ability to to move past painting by the numbers just isn't isn't there for him yet. Yeah, I will say like, and we see the we see individual things, right? Like Seku like finally set a, a hard like screen for Sfima Hailuk and like freed Sfi for a shot he like absolutely bricked. But like I I remembered that so clearly and even like pointed it out on Twitter because like that was the first time or not the first time, but that was like one of the best screens I can ever remember him setting. It's like you you could do that, you know, more times going down the floor and create space for your teammates and, you know, uh, maybe even down the line after passing the ball around, create some space for you to go to go do something and attack offensively. Um, he he had a really nice, like he, he dove on the floor for a steal um, in one of the Orlando games. And like that is the type of energy you like to see. You like to see that that hustle. Um, but like those are again like those are individual isolated incidents, and they they are so memorable because like those are the only, that's the main things he he does like when he's on the court of, in four games. And so it's just like yeah, it's it's really rough. I know the I, like I want I don't want to be too negative about Seku, not just because like. You know, I don't want to be negative in general, but because, like, again, he, he is only 20. He is, like, figuring things out. You just, like, at some point, I would like him to figure some things out, like, in front of us where we can see it, right? Yeah, and it, look, I think it's fair to be critical of who a player is now while acknowledging that they're not a finished product. Like, I, I was critical of Jeremy Grant today. I was critical of Josh Jackson today. But both of those guys, like, they're still young enough. They've got incredible physical tools. They can both grow. I think the same is true for Seku. Like, and as you said, there's a whole lot of practice sessions going on that we're not seeing. And boy, it really would be fun to see those because there's got to be something there, right, that we're just not seeing. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Ben, that was everything I had this week. Was there anything you wanted to talk about? Anything that uh, caught your eye this week? Well, you know, it's not about the Pistons. It's not even about the NBA. But hey, we didn't get March Madness a season ago. Right. And you know, I got to talk about my Michigan Wolverines who are playing some fantastic basketball. So, you know, this is the time of year every year. I don't follow college basketball religiously up until like January, February. So uh, forgive me if I if I miss some Pistons games in favor of those number three in the country. Is it Michigan Wolverines? Is that where it is? I think I think that's about right. That that is a fun basketball team to, to watch. Juwan Howard has done incredible things coaching a team that wasn't even ranked to a one loss team right now. Fantastic basketball happening. And really, look, I know MSU is having a down year and I'm not going to dog him for that, but the Big Ten as a whole uh, has been a lot of fun. Uh, so March Madness, Laz, bring it on. I haven't even thought about March Madness as like a physical concept, but like, yeah, that's that's definitely coming. Also, we lost to Maryland today. So, so oh, sorry. Hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. The uh, Pistons play the Knicks tonight. We are recording uh, Sunday night. It's 5 o'clock. It's Sunday night. That counts. But we are recording prior to the game on Sunday. They play the Raptors on Tuesday. Maybe. Maybe they play the Raptors on yeah, Tuesday. Right. Yeah, the uh, Raps just canceled a game against the uh, Chicago Bulls tonight because of uh, COVID protocols. I believe they played their last game uh, without like any members of their coaching staff. Yeah. So like that, yeah, that's a, uh, that's weird. So we'll, we'll see if that one happens. 
And then uh, they play the Knicks again on Thursday. And then it's the All-Star break. So that will give you more time to watch your top-ranked Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> so, Ben, do you think the Pistons uh, play any tough games against the Knicks this week? Well, the Knicks, I don't know, man. The Knicks are, like, almost good, right? They're not not bad. They're not not bad. And, uh, hey, maybe Jeremy Grant has something to prove and he wants to show that he should have been an all-star over Julius Randle. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, who knows with the Pistons? They're not playing, like, a top-five NBA team, so they're probably going to play terrible and lose all three, right? Like, they, <laughs> they play well when the competition warrants it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the Dennis Smith Jr. revenge game if hey, something is possible. True. Uh, you know, maybe yeah, Jeremy Grant with an with an axe to grind. But uh but yeah, the uh I watched a good chunk of the Knicks Pacers game on Saturday night and the Knicks are just like they're just a really like solid basketball team. They you know what they look like? They look like a Tom Thibodeau team. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh this is a good episode. Let let the people know where they can find you where they can find your work, where they can uh, commiserate with you about the success of the uh, unranked to number three Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BRGalker. You can find me in the comments section of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast post always. And I keep threatening to write something, which which maybe I will do um, at, at DBB. You can you can write, you can give us the the very solid draft scout report on Franz Wagner. <laughs> okay all right i can do that yeah as i you know i keep hearing that he's really good and that he, there's a real shot like he is a lottery talent i haven't seen him because i don't watch michigan basketball I don't you know basketball. oh so all right the the 30 second review from my perspective would be um is his athleticism enough for him to continue doing at the next level what he does at the collegiate level? And that, to me, is an open question. I just don't know if the athleticism is there for him to play the same game in the pros as he plays at the collegiate level. Okay, okay. So, but I'll, you know, not to, like, assign you anything, but I think <laughs> that, that would be pretty cool. Um, you, you know, if you want to follow me and, and watch what I'm watching, uh, you can do so on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at... L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. See you.